prayer in evangelism, and I think it's a, a fitting way to, to end here. So we're going to look through a number of uh, Bible passages to think about this. And as I was, we taught this stuff at our, our church at first, and uh, I was really struck with the number of verses that when you start reading through the New Testament deal with evangelism that relate directly to, to prayer. Um, John Piper, in his book on missions, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is a really good book on missions, he's, he makes a statement that uh, life is war. And he, he talks about the fact that when we are engaged in um, living as Christians, we're engaged as missionaries, that we are something like soldiers advancing on the battle. And he talks about prayer as the wartime walkie-talkie, where you're calling in support. <laughs> and he builds this whole paradigm out of, of this. But you get the idea where we're, prayer and mission are so tightly linked together uh, and so necessary. He, he says, God has given us this prayer time walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. That was a really good way for Piper to put that. He's just making the point that we, that the work of evangelism is God's work and our work. We do the work, God brings about the growth, and we have the responsibility uh, to pray. So we want to ask the question, how do we pray for evangelism? We, we might automatically think we pray for conversions, but I want to walk through some passages here and, and see how we pray. The first is to pray for laborers. Let's read Matthew chapter 9, a passage we looked at earlier. Matthew 9, 35. As you're turning there, Anybody, what's a, a synonym for a laborer? Worker. What would be a, an antonym for laborer? What would you say? Idler. Idler. Oh, I like that. That's good. Idler. Not sluggard. Okay. All right, so we have our terms clear. Worker and idler or sluggard. We have that down. So we see Matthew 9, where the passage we read earlier about hungry and hurting and Jesus has this compassion on the crowds. And then verse 37, He, that's Jesus, said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into our harvest, into the har- His harvest. So, defining some terms here. Who's the Lord of the harvest? It's God, right? And the prayer request here, is specifically for who? Workers, right? And he gives two reasons for the prayer request. What are the two reasons? What's that? Harvest is plentiful, and then the other reason we need to pray for, pray for workers? Not enough. Um, we, we might think the opposite today. There are not a lot of people to be saved. The harvest isn't plentiful. But there are a lot of Christians, laborers. We tend to think that the harvest is puny and the workers abound. 
But Jesus teaches us something different. We don't have enough workers and the harvest is plentiful. I'll tell you, I've read this passage so many times but thinking through it, trying to put it together and, and think about prayer and evangelism. I was struck by that. Fundamental to our evangelism is praying for laborers. Laborers, those who, who work in the vineyard of the Lord with the ministry of the gospel. So how do we pray? We don't necessarily need more church members. We actually need more church members to get to work. That gets back to our identity as missionaries, right? We actually have to do what we're called to do and be who we're called to be. Uh, Did God send laborers into the harvest? Yeah. Great commission. So, right away here at the front, we, we, we have, if we trust God, we trust His Word, He tells us to pray because there's not enough workers and the harvest is plentiful. What about you? But that makes me want to pray and it makes me want to talk to people about Jesus. Because we need, we need workers to do the job to bring about the harvest. You just get this picture of this, this great field out there that's, that's ripe for the harvest. And we don't have enough people to do it. Or instead of going out into the field, those that are supposed to be laborers are are doing other things rather than going to the field. So pray. Pray for laborers. Pray for laborers in your church. Pray for yourself to be a laborer. Pray in light of the fact that the harvest is plentiful. Second, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Now, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Now, we wouldn't think of Paul as a, to use Dave's word, an idler, right? He seemed like the type of guy who could just parachute into a town and talk to everybody in the town about Jesus before lunchtime. And, and he, he was fearless and faithful to get the job done. And we, and we might think of Paul that that's just how he's wired. He's just an extrovert, smart guy that can talk to anybody. He's the one who, who told Timothy not to fear man, but to be bold with the truth. But what if Paul wasn't naturally bold? What if he was supernaturally bold? What if God made him bold with the gospel because he knew that he was weak, and as a result, the gospel was strong? I think we'd be instructed by his praying. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Paul wants opportunities. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, or be devoted to prayer, being watchful or alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. So Paul tells the Colossians to pray, and then he says, pray for us. And this is what he wants to pray. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. We'll focus on the first one first, the opportunity. It's as if Paul is saying, brothers and sisters of Colossae, I would ask you to pray for and with us that God would open a door for the Word. I, I need opportunities. Isn't that great? Here's Paul saying, pray 
for opportunities. He wants them to open a door for the Word. It's the picture of the, the door being open. And when I, when I read that, I think of the scene in the, the, the book The Hobbit where they're standing outside of uh, Lonely Mountain. Right? And they, they can't get in. They're frustrated. How are you going to get in? And Bilbo and the dwarfs tried to, to get in. And they waited and waited and pushed into it and finally were ready to give up. And then on the, the last light of Durin's day, that light shines onto the keyhole and Bilbo opens the door. Right? And, and they go in. And it's, it's like the, the human heart is that mountain that is hard. And you can ram it with all of your wisdom and forceful arguments and creativity and even faithfulness. It's not going to open. But until God opens the door for the word, then it will go forth. And that's what he's praying for. God, open it up. And I, and I would just ask you, have you seen God open the hearts of people to hear the word of God? Can you think of opportunities where you've prayed for people to be converted and God's done it? Maybe an unbeliever in the community the church is praying for. I think of a situation where my my dad was living in Lemister at the time, and he was uh, he was at a Tim's Chowder House downtown Lemister, and he's eating chowder, and he, this guy walks in, and they're talking. He said, "I haven't seen you in a while." Yeah, yeah, et cetera. They knew each other casually, and then the guy says, "Hey, how's your son Eric?" This is about ten years ago. And my dad said, oh, wouldn't you know, he's a pastor now in Omaha. And the guy about dropped his spoon. He said, are you kidding me? Because I used to hang around with his son, and we got into a fair amount of trouble. And, and he said, I would never have guessed. But then this is what got him. He said, he said, Ed, do you know I prayed for your son when he would stay at my house? And would you know that for some strange reason, God burdened me throughout the years to keep praying for him? So God, in his wisdom, in his timing, in his goodness, uses the prayers of this guy, Mr. Bernard, to pray for me that I would get converted. And in due time, I do. So I reached out to him, talked to him. I mean, he's just, he's like, I need to be praying for everybody. You know, he's like, I can't believe this can't believe this happened. Um, God opened a door for the Word, brings about the conversion, uses this guy praying, and you see that happen. Do you imagine how you would be, your evangelism would improve if you made it your daily priority to pray for opportunities for the Gospel, like Paul did? It's like having a, if you're in the market for a new vehicle. I remember we were looking for a new van, and I think we were going to buy a white van. And then we get a white van. And what do you see on the road all the time? White vans, right? It's like, wow, there's a lot of white vans. Evangelism is the same way. Pray for evangelism. Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. And then you come home at the end of the day and say, man, i got a lot of opportunities. Talk about Christ. Third was pray for faithfulness. We see that in the other half of the verse. Paul says, pray that God would open a door for the words to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He doesn't just pray for opportunities, but he prays that he would take the opportunities and be faithful. And he would be clear. He would be faithful. Effective evangelism, again, is faithful evangelism. He wants clarity. He wants to make the gospel clear. Because what happens if he muddles the message? What if he's not clear on the gospel? 
God saves people through the gospel. So if, we, if we're not telling the truth about Jesus, then that's not going to bring about salvation and God being glorified. Similarly, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, you might just go back a couple books. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 18, he advises that the Ephesians be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So it sounds a lot like Colossians 4. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, again, he wants boldness. He wants he doesn't want to chicken out. He doesn't want to not speak the truth. And he recognizes that he needs supernatural power to bring about the boldness that needs to happen. And so for us, you're just seeing in this, how do we as a church pray for faithful evangelism? You're praying for opportunities. You're praying for laborers. You're praying for opportunities. You're praying for faithfulness. And you think, what does that look like? It looks like clarity with the message. And it looks like boldness with the truth. And you see in Galatians chapter 1, a similar issue that he had when he was dealing with the the problems in the Galatian church. Because he says in chapter 1, verse 10, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I am trying to please man... Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, this issue of boldness for Paul was it's an either-or situation. Either I'm going to be bold and faithful or I am going to be timid and unfaithful. Either I'm going to fear man and be timid or I'm going to fear God and be faithful. And I think that's a, that's a really helpful simplification of what we're after. Faithfulness involves fearing God. Faithlessness involves fearing man. And it's it's hard to say, but it's reality. I love the, the, the way God gifts certain people in the church to be to, to, to be good um, communicators of certain truths. And, and John MacArthur is one that's been helpful for me over the years. And he has this line where he says, listen, you can't be both faithful and popular. It's either or. So take your pick and take your lumps. I love it. So you're going to be either faithful or popular. What do you want to do? You're either going to be loved by people or you're going to be faithful. And, and he said you need to be faithful. That's Galatians 1. So Paul's praying that he would be clear and that he would be bold. And then another is we want to pray for blessing. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1. So move over a couple of books to the right. All right, look what he says. Finally, brothers, Second Thessalonians 3.1, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. All right, that's his prayer, that the word of God would speed ahead. Why is it so necessary to pray for the word of God to speed ahead? Because they're not going to do it on their own power, their own skill, their own creativity, their own wisdom. They need God's help to make the gospel speed ahead, to go forward. And notice what he says, may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. This is exciting when you think about this. What Paul's doing is he's reaching back into the time of history when the Thessalonian church was founded. 
He's reaching back. And if you remember in Acts 16, we have the, the, the drama related to the, the, the way that Paul was, was beaten and rejected and the church was planted. But if you, if you look back at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, just go back a couple of pages, the reality of Christians walking and following Jesus becomes an incentive for him to pray that more of that would happen. So the local church becomes not only the means for evangelism, but in some ways something of a motive. It's a reminder. Hey, God saves sinners. Look at what he says in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, remember your faithfulness. And here it comes. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Here it comes. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then he goes on about being examples. And he says, uh, verse 9, They report concerning us the kind of reception we received among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. We raised from the dead Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to pray that the word of God would speed ahead for us where we're doing our ministry, just as it has among you. Look in the mirror, Thessalonians. You were lost and God saved you with power. You turned to God from idols. So on Sundays or days like today, you look around at one another and you think, How should we be praying for evangelism? Look at one another. There's testimonies of grace in the local church. People that have been called out of darkness into light. God has turned you from idols to serve the living God, to to love one another and to, to wait for God to come back from heaven. That's tremendously motivating. I mean, I know it's tough ground in, in New England. I, I mean, the, the, the rocks in the ground are a metaphor of the hearts, right? They're everywhere. It's a hard ground. But he hasn't left it without a gospel witness. He hasn't snuffed out the light. You're here. He's got work to do. You've got work to do. It's, it's tremendously encouraging to think that God is still bringing the gospel home to people to believe it and to see it. So, you pray for blessing. Consider the, the people or the groups who are far from Jesus. How would you pray for gospel blessings? You begin praying for people in political office, local local um, municipals, government, churches, churches that are compromising. I mean, you think of the, 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 the Jewish... Um, Rabbi and then his wife or her wife. I, her, yeah, how to keep it straight. Uh, you got the whole situation. I mean, how do you pray for that? I mean, you you got to pray, pray, pray. What a story that would be. Then you got a story like Rosario Butterfield, who was the um, just complete feminist lady at, teaching at Syracuse University and now is a champion for the gospel. I mean, did you see that? It's just remarkable what God does. So, Continue to pray. If we take the biblical narratives or the accounts from church history concerning revival, 
we always see people praying. Always. It's because gospel advancement is inextricably linked to Christians praying. It would be ignorant and somewhat arrogant of us to say, we want to see people one for Jesus. And then we don't pray. It's ignorant of the way God does it. And it would be arrogant to think that God would do it apart from us humbling ourselves in prayer. You see, prayer and mission go together. In his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about the need for missionary prayer. And he says, There is no way from one person to another, for there are no direct relationships, not even between soul and soul. Christ stands between us. And we can only get into touch with our neighbors through Him. That is why intercession is the most promising way to reach our neighbors. And corporate prayer offered in the name of Christ, the purest form of fellowship. So imagine what would happen if your church began to reflect the biblical priority of prayer for gospel advancement. Imagine if corporately, and maybe in prayer meetings, but then individually in prayer time, we would begin thinking about praying for the gospel to advance. I'll tell you what happens when people do that. Because I've seen it. People start talking back and forth. They start texting each other. I just met with Joe. He's open to the gospel. Pray that God will open his eyes. Or, I have a meeting with Sally this weekend. Pray I would be faithful and bold. Or, I'm bringing unbelievers to church this weekend. Pray that they would hear the word. Right? This, this type of thing... And, and, as a pastor in, in a context where we're trying to see people own mission, when I get texts like that or questions about, can you pray for this guy? It's the best thing ever because people are owning it. But then you see it. It's so wonderful when you see people you're praying for get converted and saved. And we've been able to see that a number of times. And if you're not seeing that and you might be getting discouraged, I know there's been some conversions the last couple of years. Take heart. But know that there's nothing wrong with the gospel. There's nothing wrong with it. There may be something in the way we're approaching what we need to do. We need to, need to pray. So the simplest thing we can do is to pray and get to work. Easy. Pray and get to work. Let's see what God does. I'm just going to summarize the last talk quickly because we're kind of uh, short on the on the time how do we support evangelism and sustain it i think i'll just give you kind of the main points and we'll talk through them and, and maybe some questions on it so these all apply as an individual and as a church so it's it's both and not either or The first is to be convinced that the gospel is truly of first importance. You've got to believe that this gospel is true and primary. If it's periphery, it's going to be disregarded. If it is central to everything in the means by which people are saved, it's going to be clung to. Second would be to calibrate all of your life and ministry by the gospel. It's everything. It's the way our marriages should look. It's how our parenting should look. It should, it's how we engage with our, 
fellow church members. It's how we solve conflict. It's everything is calibrated by the gospel, and then therefore our conversations are gospel calibrated, our evangelism efforts. It'll actually reinforce and promote the gospel if that is how the church is centered. The next would be leaders who model making and training disciples. So leaders who model evangelism and discipleship, that is reaching new people with the gospel and seeing them discipled. Uh, It's really hard, I will tell you, as a pastor, because evangelism opportunities, you spend so much time with Christians. So it's really difficult. But as pastors, there's, there's the need to prioritize how we do that. We want to train church members, and we also want to be faithful with the opportunities that God gives us. So leadership modeling it, elders, pastors, deacons, others. One way we can do that is is obviously prayer. And I had on my list giving away good books on evangelism. Brandon, perfect. Training others in the work. Helping people to think in terms of their lives as a stewardship. This is great to think about. Everything in your life is a gift from God. Time your life, everything, stewardship. So the way a stewardship works is you've been given something and you need to improve upon it and give it back to the one who owns it. And so as a steward of our lives in the gospel, we have to think that I have been giving op- given opportunities to talk to people about Jesus and I need to be faithful with them. It's as simple as that. I want to be a faithful steward. To think that we're going to one day stand before the one who owns everything and question us about how we've done with what we've been entrusted with should motivate us to be faithful with the time and the conversations we have. Another is to remind people that their church is a missionary work, that the church, the standard, the expectation is that we are doing missionary work, that we are not only supporting missionaries, but we are living as missionaries, going across the world and across the street to reach people with the gospel. So when you when you have a context where we're not even thinking about evangelism, that it's just something that other people do, then we're we're slowly drifting away from the heartbeat of what a church should be doing. Next is prioritize missions in the church budget to continue to support not just international but local missions and training people for missions, everything where where the church makes a substantial statement of their support to missions. Another is training members to make and train disciples. You will uh, foster a disciple making and disciple training culture when people are taught how to make and train disciples. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. Discipleship and training coming out of the gospel. Next is praying regularly for evangelistic faithfulness and fruit. So Sunday morning prayers, prayer meetings, prayer lists, whatever we're doing, dinner time prayers with the family, prayers in your devotions, whatever, always thinking through evangelism. Think about your if you have a prayer journal, how often do we write, pray for this person who's unbeliever? Prioritizing prayer. Celebrating conversions. Think about the situation. Let's just say, well, I'll tell you a story. We had this um, young lady named Rosario who came from a kind of a cultic background and 
showed up at Emmaus and was coming for a while. And just everybody knew she didn't believe the gospel. And she knew it. And I would say dozens of people were actively trying to help her to think through the gospel. She's in their home talking. And 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 I've never seen seed snatching quite like this, you know, where Satan snatches seeds. <clears throat> but clear as a clear as day on the gospel, communicating it. And then you talk to him, and she she couldn't put it together. I mean, it was like it was another language. Right after she just put it together. And, she, and we're thinking, man, oh man, this is so difficult. People are praying and praying and praying. Two years later, somewhere in a, a sermon on First John, she, it makes sense who Jesus is and what has happened. And the whole thing opens up. And she gets converted. So, when, when she stands up to give her baptismal testimony, what do you think the congregation is thinking? I mean, people are just tears who have been wrestling her spiritually, doing everything they can to reason with her, and then pleading her before the throne, God, save her, save her, save her. And she gets converted. The congregation is just flooded with tears. People are so encouraged and blessed. And, and then people get greedy and they want to see more and more. And so they start praying and praying and praying to see more conversions. Greedy for grace to be shown. So celebrating comes out of prayer. And then finally, planting churches. So this is just the natural implication of the Great Commission. So if the goal of the Great Commission is multiplication, seeing people converted, discipled, trained, then obviously over time you're going to have more disciples made in different areas and there's going to be a need to have more churches planted because it's just the natural outgrowth of of discipleship right the 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 church the the evangelism program for Jesus is the church so it's it makes sense to have more churches to reach more people right so you want to see disciple evangelism discipleship so that there's growth and then you want to see churches planted so that they can faithfully reach more people. So it's a natural outflow of that. So planting churches, celebrating conversions, praying for evangelism, training members, prioritizing missions in the church budget, reminding people that the church is missionary work, helping people to think in terms of stewardship, leaders modeling, making and training disciples, calibrating all in life by the all of life by the gospel. And being convinced that the, the gospel is of true importance. I think if, if you do those things or a combination of some of those things, you're, you're, you're reinforcing an evangelistic culture. It's always being talked about. Okay. We have a few minutes uh, before it's supposed to be done at noon. Questions or comments on some of the things that we've talked about? Maybe this morning? Yeah. Great question. Did you guys hear what Stephen was saying? So how do you get kind of get the ball rolling when people may have not seen a number of conversions or are maybe discouraged about bad reactions to evangelism in the past? Is that fair? Or haven't done it in forever. So I I mean I think the biblical model is through the mind, change the heart, 
and the life goes with it. So give knowledge. We are Christianity is a it comes to our minds. We read the book when we see it. And God works the truth into our hearts, changes our hearts, and that brings about a change in life. So I think that we have to be convinced of some things first. In, so the fact that a lot of what we talked about, that God is sovereign, he is saving people, He's going to finish, the work is done, he has purchased people from every tribe, nation, and we are called to bring the gospel. So that's, that's rational, that makes sense, and it actually stirs our hearts and makes us want to do it. So I think just reminding ourselves of what the Bible says and maybe maybe kind of scrubbing off some of the, the cultural, not cultural, but the time, the kind of the the barnacles of time. You know, just we need to clean that stuff off. Um, bad experiences, rejection, um, lack of fruit, all that stuff. So we got to clean that off and say, okay, what is the gospel and what does it do? Go back to the basics and just remember what our job is to be done. And then the other I would say is, what about a guy like Isaiah? I mean, like his ministry was the ministry of rejection. You're going to have a horrible time and you need to go speak it. And he spends his ministry basically without anything really awesome happening. And then Jeremiah, how many converts that guy get? Right? What a what a horrible time he had. But he was faithful. So there there needs to be that's why I think the definition of evangelism and thinking through it's both faithfulness to the message and to the action, knowing that that God may not bring a tremendous blessing of the multitude. You might not have George Whitfield or Charles Spurgeon like impact, but you're being faithful to do, and it's it's up to God to to bring about that result. So trusting Him in that. And the other thing is you could have so let's say Westgate Church here is being super faithful, doing what needs to be done. And not seeing a lot of conversion growth. But there might be, so let's say the new Southern Baptist Church that's going in, Natick, right? So let's say that comes in and God in his peculiar wisdom blesses that church with 100 conversions in three years. And you look in your immediate thought as an American is to say, oh, well, Joe's got it over here and we don't have it. So we better go over here to the place that's got it going right. That's not how it works. Right, there, God blesses people in particular ways in particular times, and it's different. So we have to remember that it's His prerogative to do what He wants. But the gospel's not broke; people are faithfully give the gospel to people, and He tends to convert them, or he's, at least He's glorified through it. So. The Puritans used to talk about successful evangelism, uh, the word that they used, but their concept was faithful equals success. So if you got the gospel out clearly and you were clear with them, that's success. As far as the conversion, that's God's work. So, does that answer? Okay, good. Anybody else thoughts on it? Yeah. That's a great question. And I think it's, it's a difficult one in one sense to answer without, because you have to guard. So I'll qualify it. I want to qualify the answer. No, I do want to qualify it. I want to qualify it from the standpoint that what I'm saying doesn't minimize the quality of compassion or care. That's a very important work. But I think we're talking about two different things. So if you think back to your job as a created person, just a created being, your job is to be an image bearer, to reflect God. 
And so if you're showing compassion by providing care and service to people, then you are rightly reflecting your job as a, as an image bearer. You're honoring God, you're loving God, you're serving people, and that's the right thing to do. And so whether you are providing care or if you're a chef or you're uh, a police officer, whatever you're doing, you do that job, your vocation, to the glory of God. And you're doing that. There's another aspect of what your question goes after is the evangelistic responsibility. So I think you can do your created responsibility, your image bearing in one sense, and that's not necessarily gospel. But I think as a Christian, we have to think more broadly than just Genesis 1. We have to think Matthew 28. So we have to think, okay, how do I reflect not only the image of the Creator, but how God's renewing me into the image of the Creator, which is Colossians 3. Yeah. So that's where, and, and, and from a work standpoint, I realize that some people could could end up dishonoring God by doing evangelism. Let me give you an example. You're in an office. Well, let's just say if you're, so you do you help people in their home like care? Okay. So let's say you have three appointments on Monday and the, it's 11, 1, and 3, and you don't show up for your 1 o'clock appointment because you spent four hours with your 11 o'clock doing good gospel work, but you dishonor your employer, and I think dishonor God, by by spending all afternoon doing evangelism when you're actually being paid to to do the care work. And, see, and then you end up pushing it back. So I think there's there's a way in which we have to navigate our responsibilities and our callings where we are. Now, I think if you have an opportunity to have a conversation while you're providing care to talk about whether natural things, whatever things aren't directly related to what you're doing, you're able to have free conversation about anything uh, natural, then that's an opportunity to talk about the gospel. But if it's the type of situation where there's no way that you can possibly do that, then you might want to try to make other arrangements, maybe off the clock, to come back and visit, maybe to do that. So it's all there. And I think... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so prayer, I think, absolutely. And when you feel the conviction, and, and realize you don't, you may not be able to get through in one sitting all that you want to say to somebody. So you may, Paul talks about having your speech seasoned with grace. So you're speaking in ways that, how are you doing today? Well, I would. And then I, I might ask how you're doing. And I mean, assuming you've prayed for the person, say they're, they're having some discomfort. And you say, you know, I was praying for you yesterday, that you would be eased of your discomfort and that I might be an encouragement to you today. I've been looking forward to this. I, that, yes, that's intentional. And it causes people's head to spin. They're thinking, what in the world? Who is this lady? And then, why would you pray for me? I've been asked that. Why have you prayed for me? I care about you. Yeah. So it's not either or. I think you can do both. No, I don't have it. I don't have the exact quote the way it was, but the guy in the, the book, um, Oz Guinness's book, Fool's Talk, he, uh, he says, Balaam's donkey is the patron saint of evangelism. So he says that we're, we're pretty much uh, Balaam's donkey because we are... You know, we're just put in a place to speak to people that are really confused, that don't believe, and we're just to, to be faithful with what he called us to do in the midst of the moment. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, 
boy, I am just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pitiful or something like that, it, how he put it. It was more poetic the way Guinness wrote it. But uh, I thought the the uh, patron saint of, of evangelism, apologetics being Balaam's donkey, was, was fitting because he, he did his job. He opened his mouth and he talked. That's what you do. Um, and God handles everything else. So it's good. Good. Good question. Anybody else? Yes. So, so part of the problem is just getting to work. That's what you're saying. We need to be laborers, right? Yeah, that's good. Good. Let's pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Gracious God, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. Uh, and we pray that you would fill our hearts with a vision of your great splendor and glory, um, your love, your magnificence, and that that would be known among this region, Lord, that we would make it known. Would you give us courage and strength, boldness? Uh, we pray for fruitfulness, Lord. We pray for faithfulness. We pray that your gospel would go forward and that it would please you to use us to that end, God. So may you be honored. May you receive the glory due your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.